I like those steps. I turned 60 a couple of weeks ago and I saw this jump and I said, uh, I don't think so. But, uh, but anyhow, best family. Who said that, Emily or you? Emily, we pay you well, don't we? No, seriously. It's a pleasure to be with you here this morning and to uh, share some things with you, um, a little bit of a journey, but also uh, some takeaways, some things that, that you learn. This is a, a journey that we didn't really sign up for. No one really signs up for these kind of things, but uh, we're very thankful to be here today. It's good to be with you and to uh, spend a little time with you this morning and so forth. But before going any further, I just want to take a second um, and introduce a couple of people to you that are uh, very, very important to me that are here and have come with me this morning, and that is my wife, Elisa, and my daughter, Katie. I think they're over this way. If they want to stand up just a second and, uh, and so forth, there they are. And, uh, we're very thankful to be here, sharing some time with you guys and having a chance to talk. You know, um, five and a half years ago, or something in that neighborhood, it was a day kind of like a lot of other days, March the 25th, 2014. And there was changes going on. There was different things that were going to happen in our life. But on this particular day, it was a day when, uh, as somebody has described it, kind of like a perfect storm. Um, Katie had had some physical things going on and was on the mend from that. And there were some relationships that had ended up being counterproductive and they all kind of were crashing in on one given day. And on this day, uh, and Katie was at school. In fact, I was one of her teachers uh, that morning. And so she came up to me afterwards that there was a relationship that had gone south that day. She had been, as we found out as time went on, weeks and months went by, that really she had been the recipient of bullying from somebody who was uh, in a trusted position. And yet everything was crashing in. And she came up to me on that morning and she said, you know, she said, Dad, she put her head on my shoulder a little bit. She said, Daddy, she said, I, I just don't think I can be here today. I told her, I said, go home, go on. I'll sign you out later. That's one of the benefits of having your dad as a teacher. He just shine, signs you out and off you go. But on that, I said, yeah, I'll sign you out. I'll sign you out. Don't worry about it. Go ahead, go on. So she left and and a little while later, I went over to a, a planning period, walking over there, and, and I was stopped by the uh, guy who was the headmaster. He stopped and he said, this may mean nothing. He said, but somebody heard somebody who heard somebody who heard somebody that Katie said she was so upset she just felt like hurting herself today. I said, okay. So I made a beeline, went over, picked up my phone, called Katie, and she happened to be at her brother's house, who was about five or six minutes away. And I told her, I said, Katie, what's going on? What's happening? What's taking place? What's, what's going on? And she said, nothing. And I said, I mentioned what somebody thought they heard second, third hand. She said, oh, Dad, that's crazy. Nothing in her voice, nothing whatsoever that would suggest something alarming. There was no pattern of some kind of strange behavior. She was not a depressing kid. She, you know, she's a smart kid, very active kid, athletic kid. Uh, you know, the kid's been playing, you know, not that year, but she'd been playing soccer since she was four years old. She was tough, man. She was tough. You know, I don't know if any of you, any soccer players are out there. Anybody ever played soccer out here before? Anybody? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying. She was tough. Uh, when she was four years old, she, uh, 
She learned, those of you who have ever seen soccer, played soccer, whatever, she learned from a family member how to dip her shoulder at four years of age and take the opponent out. Um, I'll never forget. I, she was four years old, was in this mixed league of boys, little girls, and they were all doing it at halftime, sitting around with their uh, little sippy things that they, they do at that age. And I'll never forget it. The coach was saying there as they were all sucking down juice, he said, Katie, I need you to do me a favor, honey. He said, I need you to take it easy on the, not so rough on the second half because the mommies on the other team are complaining that you're hurting their little boys. So, you know, she, she had stamina about her, so she was not a weak individual. But on this day, things were a little bit different. Things were tough. Things were moving in. Things were kind of crashing in. And she said, no, everything's, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. I talked to her brother. There's no, there's no anything. Nothing. But about 25, 30 minutes later, I get a call from my wife as I'm sitting there. And I could tell something was wrong in the tone of her voice. She said very quickly, she said, she said Katie's gone. I said, what do you mean gone? What do you mean gone? And she said, she sought herself. And she's gone. And in that moment of time, as I'm listening to all these words, I'm rising up running down to a school office, trying to be as quiet as I can because there's kids all over a hallway, not trying to create a scene, but I've, I get someone to take me to my son's house, and my wife and my son are standing outside. Everybody, we are beside ourselves. And all we know is she's in there, and she's gone. My son had gone back in to check. And I'm cutting through a lot of the different details, but to let you understand the horror and the horrific moments that transpired there. And all we knew is when she was gone, the law enforcement would show up a little bit, a few moments later, just shaking their heads. EMS would come right after that. And there would be voices in the distance that basically said, we heard faintly, that says, we have a pulse. She's alive. Things turned on a dime, but yet it didn't, it didn't deny the horror of the moment, the pain that we faced. And the thing that we have to understand is, is that where did all this come from? She would be rushed to the local hospital within, within the hour. She would be life-flighted to Memphis where she would spend the next several weeks as she balanced between life and death, agonizing. We're not even knowing what's going to happen, what's going to take place. That night as we had gone into Memphis, she had had several surgeries that day. We were told by one of the chief surgeons, an older gentleman, I'll never forget his face. He, you could tell he wasn't new on the block. And he told Elisa and I, he said, listen, he said, this is probably the most horrific wound I've ever seen. I'm thinking, this is Memphis. You got to get out more often, man, is what I'm thinking. He said, no. He said, I just, I don't, I, he said, this is terrible. And he said these words, and we had no clue what he was saying, but we would as time would go by. He said, the only thing I can think of that would give her any semblance of life, if she's able to make it is a face transplant. And we kind of looked and we said, what is a face transplant? You know, in your head you're thinking, you take somebody's head off, you put another head on. I, we had no idea. And when we, my wife and I said, what's a face transplant? He said, he looked at us and he says, don't you guys ever watch Oprah? And my wife, those of you who know my wife, the kind, quiet, gentle woman that she is, said, no, we're school teachers. We don't have time for Oprah. But you know what? 
five weeks later, we'd gotten a call relative to the Cleveland Clinics. We're live flighted back up here, to, up here to Cleveland. And over the next three years, touch and go, back and forth, between life and death, lots of pain, lots of agony, lots of horror, lots of suffering. And yet she would, in the, the spring of 2017, be the youngest recipient of a full face transplant in the history of the United States. Many, many people have seen this story all across the globe. And the story is really, really interesting, and the story is really frightening, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of scary stuff. But if it was just that story that this morning was about, I think we would be missing the mark, and I would be remiss to leave certain things out. And that is, how does something like this happen to a family? How, how does something like this happen to anybody's family? Especially when there's no signs that everybody says, yeah, there had to be signs, there had to be this. Sometimes there are and sometimes they're not. But how do you make it regardless of the signs? How do you make it when you go through a tragedy? How do you live? How do you go from day to day, week to week, month to month? How, how do you exist? And some of you are sitting here because everybody's a beautiful person here this morning. I'm, I haven't seen any ugly people here yet today. <laughs> Gorgeous group, wonderful people. You know, but how in the world do you live through something like this? How do you live through anything that is pain and trauma and suffering in your life, whatever it might be? For some, it might be a terminal disease. We lived at the Ronald McDonald House here in Cleveland over four years, man. Over four years. Like I've told other people, that, that's, man, that's landmark. But they still didn't name a hamburger after me. Can you believe that deal? <laughs> but you, you live through this stuff. You, you live through these things and somehow, but how do you get there? Maybe, and, and, and when we lived at the Ronald McDonald House, we saw a lot of terminal illnesses, a lot of very sick kids. Some that died, some that lived, some that think they're living. Maybe some of here this morning, maybe it's, maybe it's, You've been served some divorce papers. Maybe it's your job. It doesn't exist anymore. Maybe there's stuff on the inside because pain is not always seen on the outside, but many times it's in that inside place that nobody sees and nobody hears about. But regardless of what you're walking through this morning, no matter who you are, no matter what you're walking through, there's pain that's very real. There's pressure that's there. But I'm, I want to tell you this morning, but there's a promise. And there's a passage of scripture that's found in a book called Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I want to read this passage to you from the message version. So it might be a little bit different than what you're accustomed to, but maybe you know this one. That Old Testament prophet, he wrote this and he, he said this concerning what God said to him. And he said, I know what I'm doing, God says. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. How do you live the next day? How do you go from here to the next moment, the next week, the next month, the next year? As we consider the idea of pain, pressure, and a promise, I want you to think about something. If you look at that scripture and you see that passage in Verse 11, there's a word that says no. Everybody say no. No. There's a word no there. And it's a word that's used a lot of times in Scripture. 
And it speaks of gaining information. It talks about this used of God's understanding of people as well as people's understanding of God. It's the knowledge of God, of his creation. And that's that nothing, nothing can be hidden from his understanding. I mean, think about it this morning. His knowledge extends to our relationships, to our tendencies, to our thoughts, to our actions, to our emotions, to our behavior, to our talents. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, in that same message version, it says this. God said this to Jeremiah. He said, listen, he said, before I shaped you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. Wow. Today, everybody has reveal parties. Guess what we're having? Guess what we're having? Years ago, it was just like you, you got one and you were stuck with whatever you got. There was no trade involved. But God says, before I formed you in the womb, he said, I knew all about you. Listen, anybody who's got that kind of insight, anybody who's got that kind of information, I think knows exactly what's best for us and exactly how we need to fit into this world. Look at the word plans if you're looking at that scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. The word plans that's used there. In, in its original form, in its original form, it carries the idea of creating something new. Think about that for just a second. Creating something new, something fresh, something that's adapting, something that's, that's adjusting. So, okay, Rob, so, so how does this relate to my life and the fluid circumstances that we all live in? Be they good or be they painful? What's that do with me today? I, I'm 15 years old. You know, I, I've got the tiger by the tail. I got the whole world in front of me, man. I'm going to map out my future. But God says, I know the plans I've got for you. I've got plans for you. And there's, there's things that are flexible here. Think about this. God's plans are never cast in concrete. March the 25th, 2014, that day has come and gone. But what happened that day? You're thinking perhaps life is over. It's, it's, it's vanquished. Maybe what you're going through, whatever it is you're walking through, you've been walking through, you're thinking everything's toast now. It's whatever. But God's plans for your life are never set in concrete they're flexible. They're adjustable to our lives and our circumstances that are always changing. I mean, it's easy to think that God has only one perfect, narrow plan for your life. And that if something happens, though, if something falls up, if you mess up or the bottom falls out, Maybe you weren't anticipating the difficulties that you're going through or that you've been through. But you think, well, maybe, you know, things are messed up. The bottom's dropped out. And all you have left now this, on this Sunday morning are, are, are shattered dreams and heartaches and disappointments and anguish and pain. It is, if you have that, it, when that pain hits, it is so easy and human to think well, there's no hope. Everything's over. 
That plan, that thing I was working towards, that thing I was dreaming of, that thing that I was desiring so much, that, that plan is forever gone. It's destroyed. There, there's, you know what? There's just no need to go on. There's just no need to go on. And all that's left are the pieces. That's all I've got. Pieces. Just things that are left over. Nothing to live for. Nothing. So why would I bother to think about going on? Some of you young ladies, maybe you had a breakup in a relationship with some guy or vice versa, a guy with a girl. Ladies, I want to tell you something. Young ladies that are here this morning, let me just tell you something. And that is that guy who is such a stud muffin today. He's so beautiful and so wonderful. And he's just so whatever. In about 30 to 40 years, everything's going to go south. Guys that, well, I'm not going to talk about the ladies because ladies never age. That's why women build statues about me and when I, I don't mention their age, you know. I'm just teasing. But I want you to hear something this morning. God does not have just one perfect plan for any of us. Bottoms do fall out. Tragedies do happen. Pain occurs. Pressure occurs. God doesn't have just one perfect plan for any of us. But what he does have is a promise he has one purpose, one goal. He has a destiny. And what is that? That we become all that we were meant to be through conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. The promise, the purpose, the goal never changes. But the plans are fresh, new, reviving, adjustable every day. Why? Because life is fluid. God has a path, but something happens. You know what? It's not that God is chasing you down. It's just that God is one step ahead of you. He gives us a free will to operate by. And when we make decisions or we find ourselves in situations that we weren't anticipating, God says, I got this. I've got a, I've got a plan. I've got a path for you. You see, our pain, our pressures, our troubles, they cannot destroy or ruin God's promise for you and I. Are you hearing that today? They can't do it. I don't care what's happened in your life. It can't destroy God's promise for your life because his mercy is much wider and his grace is much deeper than any of us could ever begin to dream about. Well, well what exactly, Rob, is the promise? Well, he said it in Jeremiah. He said to take care of us, not to abandon us, and give us a future. Now, I don't want to get all scholarly on you here and philosophical, but other, other translations of this passage in Jeremiah, they use the words prosper and not to harm us. The, the word prosper that's used in that passage is an old Hebrew word. It's a word that's called shalom. Maybe you've heard that term before. And, and shalom, it, it basically means peace, it means completeness, it means wholeness, it means soundness, among other things. But understand something. This peace, this shalom, meant much more than just the mere absence or rescue or avoidance of pressure and pain and heartache. 
It's a lot bigger than that. It really is. It's so much bigger than that. It's a large word. This old Hebrew word is kind of really couched and nestled into the idea of relationship. Not in stuff. Not in just any kind of relationship. But ultimately, our relationship with someone who has known us before we were ever formed. Someone who provides all the aspects of completeness. And without this primary foundational relationship, without this primary thing as the foundational purpose of life, every other aspect of our existence becomes unstable, tragic, and without hope. I want you to hear this. Unless I have this particular relationship in my life, and even with this relationship, that doesn't negate the fact that trouble's going to happen. It doesn't give me a, a, a get-out-of-trouble-free card. But something else is happening here. If I don't have this foundation in my life, everything becomes tragic. Everything potentially is unstable. Everything is without hope. You gotta work hard, you gotta study hard, become craft, skilled in your craft. It's important to put your best foot forward. And those things you've got to do, but yet you can do all those things, you can have the right everything, and that's cool. But the thing to understand is this, and that is without this foundational relationship, it's a house of cards. J.R.R. Tolkien the famed writer and follower of Jesus Christ, once wrote in a letter to this person who was wishing to know what the purpose of life was. And he wrote this in this letter in response to this person who's looking really for the answers to life. And he put this down, and I quote him, and he says, it may be said that the chief purpose of life for any of us is to increase according to our experience, our knowledge of God, by all the means that we have, and to be moved to this to praise and thanks. In other words, at the end of the day, the reason for getting up this morning is to know God. However you are, whoever you are, whatever your skin color, whatever your background might be, how much money you have or don't have, however young you are, man, woman, whatever is going on in your life, the chief purpose is to know God and to have that relationship with Him. You see, God's purposes for you and I are not to abandon us. What's God's destiny? Is not to abandon us or to harm us or for evil or to ruin us or to even give us a raw deal. We are even to let our pain go to waste. Rob, how did you and Elise and the family make it through this? I wish I had answers to that other than this, that without Christ, we're sunk. And even on good days and bad days, it's been a test and it's been trial. But to realize this is that God's not out to mess up your life. God's not there to give you a raw deal. You know, the catch thing nowadays is, well, you know what, God let this happen and, and, and we say it with such a flippant way, like the handle on a pot. 
And, we, and it comes across literally as though God is some sort of weak-kneed individual. Somebody who doesn't have any strength, somebody who doesn't have any power, somebody who doesn't give a flip about what's happening in my life. And yet, it's just the opposite of what God desires for you, whoever you might be this morning. You see, in John 16, he said this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation and distress and suffering. But he said, be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be, be filled with joy because I have overcome the world. Get this, Dick Tracy, life is messy. Life is messy. Life is not what you see on Facebook all the time where all the guys are good looking. All the girls got their hand on their hip and got the duck lips going out. And that's just the 50-year-old men and women doing that kind of thing. If I do this too long, it hurts my hip, so I got to be careful, you know. But you see, life is messy. And many times, it can be tragic and very unfair. March the 25th, 2014, in the back of our head, we've got to be thinking, where'd this come from? Sometimes trouble telegraphs you, and sometimes it's like a snake hidden in the grass. It snaps at you. You just don't know. And yet, in this passage, he gives us a heads up. He says, listen, you're going to have messy things in this life. Unbearable pressure and pain. In fact, the word tribulation that's used right there in John 16, it's a word, that's, it's, it's a fantastic word because it literally describes a, a, a squeezing, a pressure to oppress, to, <clears throat> to squash, to hem in, to crush. Guys, I want to tell you something this morning. And that is this, I've said it many times to many people over the last several years, and that is that pain is our common denominator and pressure a too frequent companion. We all may look differently, we may come from different backgrounds, we have different flares, we have different accounts, we have different skill sets, we have all kinds of different things in our lives, but there's one thing everybody in this room has in common, whether you want to accept it or not, and that, is that pain is our common denominator and his twin brother, pressure, is too frequent a companion. And too often these ugly twins are squeezing us like there's no tomorrow, no future, <laughs> no hope, no remedy, nothing beyond this moment, making us feel as though these two things, pain and pressure, have won out. They, they've, they've messed up the day. They appear to have won. And so our mind says, you know what, perhaps if we just end it all, I'll be free of their ownership. Let me quote my daughter Katie, who has said this many times, and people across the globe have heard these words. Remember this do not choose a permanent solution for your temporary problem. Hear this this morning, folks. From our view, suffering, pain, pressure are senseless. We blame God, we blame others, we even blame ourselves. The bruises, the nightmares, the questions and scars are, seem to be all that we know and feel in our lives. You see, we don't get to define. My wife and I and our family, we didn't get to define what pressure would be. You know what, even people who follow God, yeah, they're going to have trouble, but it's only going to be but so far. 
It's only going to be at a certain level. We don't get to define what our pain is or could be. We can't dictate the terms of suffering and pain. Because if we did, if we did, it would no longer be called pain and suffering. Realize this Sunday morning, there is something, but better yet, there is someone who transcends that pain that you're walking through, we've walked through, we will walk through. God is not the cause and architect of our suffering. Stick with me. God is not the architect of the trouble you're walking through. It's not his fault. He's not the architect of it. But you know what he is? But he's the master of it. He's the master of it. In this broken, fallen, messed up, crazy world lies the elements and the fruits of evil, of unfairness, of heartache and confusion that come from our hand, the hands of others, and sometimes from hands that are unseen and unknown. Don't ever discount the problem of evil. But God, it is He alone. It is He alone who has the power to take that which is unfair, unkind, broken, unjust, foolish, failing, tragic, and perhaps even evil, and turn it on its head. He alone can take the elements of our trauma and our pain and turn them into pastels and oils that he can paint on the canvas of our very lives and paint a masterpiece that would never be seen if left solely up to you and I. Pain and suffering, if left up to us, would look a lot different. It would come up a little softer. It, it, it wouldn't hurt quite so much, nor would it cut quite so deep. But yet, yet it's God who can take the pain and the pressure and the ugliness and the mourning and turn it into dancing. You didn't know you were getting a free dance lesson this morning, did you? He can take the pain and the sorrow and the heartache that feels like hell itself and you are ready to end whatever this morning. I'm not just talking to the 16, the 18, the 20 year old. I'm talking to the 30, 50, 60, 70 year old that you're thinking it is not worth going forward. But God is the one that can take the morning and turn it into dancing. Who presents joy in the morning after our tears have filled our night times. And somehow, 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 bring beauty out of the ashes of our lives. Painting suffering to us, to me, is meaningless all by itself. But to God, it becomes a tool that can become a masterpiece. Hear me today. Hear me. This is hard. This isn't easy what I'm saying, but it's true. Instead of our tragedies defining who we are and saying, this is all that's left, man. This is all that's left. You know what they are? That thing that's broken your heart? 
In reality, they are crude and broken elements in the hands of the master painter. Our lives don't have to stay forever on the shores of an impossible-to-cross Red Sea tragedy. You feel hemmed in. You feel pressured. You feel like this is it. But I'm telling you, this is not an end. Today is not an end. The thing to realize is this, is that there is someone in our midst this morning. There is someone in our midst who's with us every day that is able to carry us through what we're going through and across to something more than just our troubles. Noted pastor Tim Keller made a statement about this guy from the Old Testament named Job. He said this, and I quote him. It's kind of cool. He said, you know what? He said, Job had, it was a guy who had a lot of troubles. He lost faith. There was death. There was destruction. There was all kinds of stuff. And he, he didn't ask for it. It happened. But Keller says, through it all, Job never stopped praying. He said, yes, he complained, but he complained to God. He doubted, but he doubted to God. He screamed and yelled probably, but he did it all in God's presence. And literally, no matter how much agony he was in, he continued to address God. He kept seeking him. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Job kept seeking him. And in the end, God said, Job triumphed. Not because Job's heart and motives were always right, but because Job's doggedness in seeking the face and presence of God meant that the suffering didn't drive him away from God, but towards God. Big difference. Rob, how have you and your family made it through these past several years? You know what? I have a circumstance that would legitimize a logic that says, I have every right in the world never to trust God again, to run away from Him. But where am I going to go? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? My troubles either drive me away from Him or towards Him. And that made all the difference. That made all the difference for this guy named Job. Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. You know, Job, he did not have the book of Job to turn to. <laughs> Think about that. 99.999999% of the time, God is not going to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, listen, let's sit down and have coffee together because I'm going to tell you why you're going through what you're going through. Maybe you find that out, and if you do, I'd love to have coffee with you and find out what he had to say. But God usually doesn't tell you why you're going through it. <laughs> but remember this. Do not forget and let us remember that there is a promise. There is a purpose. There's a, a destiny to our existence of why we're living. And it is Christ himself to realize that no matter the circumstance or the trouble, we are known by him and that we may know him above all things. Man, it is not the accumulation or the possession of something, nor the affection of someone, or the attainment of some special status that defines who we are. Because if it is, as long as you got the stuff, you got the guy or the gal, 
or you are the director of this, that, and the other thing, all things seem to be cool. But what happens, not if, but when the bottom drops out and the shoe drops? What are you going to do? What takes place? What defines our very existence? What completes us? It's life. And that life is Christ himself. So what do we do now, Rob? Where do we go from here? Well, let's start a journey. Let's start a journey of moving towards living life. You can, you know. Proverbs 18.9 of the Amplified Version says, Use every endeavor to heal yourself, lest you're a brother to him who commits suicide. That's what it says. Man, use all the tools. You have troubles going on in your life right now. Use all the tools. Use all the tools to get better, my friend. I don't care what they are. Medicine, prayer, counseling, doctors, faith. Use it all, man. Baby, use it all. Why? It's there as a tool to be helped by. One baby step at a time. There's a destiny for your life. One that is beyond your current situation where you are this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. God does. There's one destiny for your life that's beyond this moment in time. And God communicates his plans so that you can be an instrument of blessing wherever you are, wherever you go in this world. Psalm 33, verse 11, out of the message version says this. It says, God's plan stands up. But I thought you said the plan changes. Oh, the plan can change. But when there's a plan, it's still good. But if something happens, it doesn't change the destiny. Why? Because ultimately the destiny that God has for you, as it said here in Psalm 33, 11, is that his plan stands up and all his designs are made to last. Every day is a blank page that you're responsible for filling with your thoughts, with your words, with your actions, by letting him lead. And it is so important. Your life has extraordinary potential. Young people, listen to me this morning. Your life has extraordinary potential. Senior saint, your life has extraordinary potential. Everyone within the sound of my voice, you know what you are? You're a gift. You are a gift. And trust every moment of every day to God so you can learn how to act like Him. What will you choose today? Do this. Do this. Love like God loves in an unconditional, unlimited way. Touch others like God touches with gentleness and respect. Speak like God speaks with truth and with power. Pray like God prays with authority and faith. Give like God gives with generosity and compassion and walk like God walks with forgiveness and love. You've got choices to make. Everybody within the sound of my voice, you've got choices to make. In this world, this morning, and sometime throughout the course of this day or any given day this week, many people are choosing to end their pain, not realizing that even though that pain, which is very, very real, they are but walking through a valley. 
they are not chained to the moment. As has been said, two roads diverged in the middle of my life. I heard a wise man say, and I took the one less traveled by. And it's made the difference every night and every day. Many are choosing to end it. But will you be one of those who will say, I'll take the lesser road and it'll make the difference. Yep. Even though there is pain and there is pressure, there is a promise. A promise of life. A road to living life. One baby step at a time. Two roads. Two roads. Which will you choose? Choose wisely. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness. Thank you that you come into the middle of our messes, our pain, our pressure, our problems. And you love us. And just when we think there is no hope, there is no potential, there is no future, you have a fresh map for the day in front of us. And it still leads us to the one destiny that you've always had for us and always will have. That we might become more like Jesus. God, that we would realize we may know you and realize we are known by you and that you will never leave us nor forsake us no matter how bad it looks. In Christ's name, amen.